Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. My guest today is Amy Frederick, President of U.S. Insurance Solutions at Principal Financial Group. And I am excited to talk to Amy today because the last time we had her on the show was a month before the world shut down. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about uh, principles, well-being uh, index for businesses. We have so much to cover. So let's get right into it. Amy, welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast. Thanks. It's fantastic to be back with you, Brian. Uh, you know what? I don't know why I waited three years. Uh, you know, you just must have been very, very busy. But I will tell you, I listened to our podcast uh, this morning before our show, and I almost got chills from it because we recorded this in the middle of February 2020. Now, let me set the scene for everybody, right? The U.S. economy was in a very good place, right? Three and a half percent unemployment, less than 2% inflation. The fear of recession is gone. It's a new year. It's a new decade. And there were a lot of people who thought, okay, I'm going to move my chips all in on my business because I'm excited about what the future holds. And we were less than 30 days out from the, from literally the world just shutting down. It was, yeah, I, re- it was crazy. I remember that conversation too, Brian, and I go back to it and we're like, you know, joking about our dogs and talking yes. about comparing benefits to like a, you know, buying a toaster. I mean, it, it, it was a great conversation and I felt the warmth and I felt the excitement, but man, when you think about being an insurance company, I mean, jaw droppingly, I had no idea that literally within 30 to 60 days, we were going to be fielding the most questions we'd ever fielded literally in my history in this business on, do I have any protection at work? Do I have any income protection? And do I have any, if the unthinkable happens and something happens to one of my employees, do I have any group life insurance in place? I mean, we answered that question hundreds, if not thousands of times. Wow. It is the ultimate what if game. What, Mm -hmm. what, what if the world shuts down in a, in a day, what will happen to me? What will happen to my employees? What will happen to my business? Because you and I, the way we talked, it was, there was no, it, it's almost like that tsunami that, uh, you know, unless it gets picked up by a radar, right? Oh my gosh, there's a tsunami coming your way. Right? You don't see it, but it's, it's can be devastating to, to the people who get hit by it. And I, and I really feel like that happened. Well, I, I'll lay another dimension in there too. I was also struck by the fact that we used words about small business owners like resilience, Mm -hmm. that we talked about purpose and culture, that we talked about some of those things that I think in the end Mm -hmm. help small businesses. I would argue over the last 12 to 18 months, they are what kept the economy afloat. So those are those same characteristics, that creativity, that single-mindedness towards their purpose, their resiliency, those are the things that got them through it. And I think as terrifying as it ended up being right at the beginning, 
towards the end, those same things we talked about saved the day. I would agree. I, I would agree. And, and I mean, when you think about from, from March uh, 2020 to, let's say, December 31st of last year, there were so many twists and turns, right? There was the lockdown that was supposed to be two weeks that, that wound up being just a little bit longer. But there, there was the lockdown. And then there was the recovery. And everybody kind of expect, we, think about how much we got wrong. Right. Oh, yes. it's only going to be two weeks. Well, it's really kind of like, you know, 18 months uh, and the recovery. It's going to be great. People are going to come back, but they really didn't. And then we didn't foresee inflation, labor issues, supply chain issues. Right. And and what the economy, what, what a recovery brought with it, supply chain and logistics issues, and that it would still be ongoing. And now here we are three, three years later. And we're still feeling the effects. I mean, it's it's now we're, we're waiting for that recession, right? To to for somebody to officially stamp and say we're in a recession. Um, but you know, inflation we're, we're trying to get under control. Some numbers recently suggest that maybe maybe it's working, but you know, it it's certainly the new normal is the abnormal, right? It's understanding that from an insurance perspective. You better be asking the what if questions today for the rest of this year and even into 2024, right? Yeah, the unprecedented amount of discussion that has happened around really what I would consider historically boring benefits, like <laughs> an income protection benefit, uh, you know, which is like a disability benefit, a, a group life benefit. Who talks about group life insurance? Like no one in that small market space is talking about that. But what we're seeing is business owner after business owner after business owner saying, wait, what if something happened to one of my employees? What would their spouse be left with? And our answer, unfortunately, too many times was you haven't put that benefit in place. You mm. haven't done anything for that. And they're like, I, I'm correcting that right now. So so that line of these things that we talk about, the 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 products, the things that that insurance does to really protect lives, they were sometimes that last line between an employee's family going into poverty. And I have never seen that starkly portrayed as much as I saw it the last few years. I, I will also say I've never seen as much confident, full support from business owners to take care of their employees as I have seen. It's it's been amazing, almost to the point of scary, that they stopped taking care of themselves so that they could take care of their employees. So that's been striking to me as well. It's friends and family. You know, when you've yeah. had somebody work for you for 10, 20, 30 years, you know them, you know their family, you know everything they're going through. I would imagine that most business owners feel like uh, I, I have a loyalty to them. I need mm -hmm. to do whatever I can to make sure that they're okay. And, and we heard that story told time and time and time again. And so the, the piece for us too, that we have realized is that if we, we, the, you know, companies like principal hadn't built relationships with their CPA, with their, um, property and casualty insurer with their, um, you know, 
their lending facility, whether it's a small business lending facility or whatever. If we If they didn't know what else to take care of, then we weren't doing our full job. So I would say we got a wake up call on what I would consider the ecosystem of influencers for small mm-hmm. businesses. And we have really ramped up our efforts um, to make sure that they understand how these products play a role in keeping the business afloat, not only keeping their employees protected, but keeping the business running. Well, that brings me to my first official question. (laughs) Wow. You and I are not a good combination, Brian. We'll wander around forever before we get to the real meat of it. So let's go. What's interesting is I'm, I'm picturing my listeners right now listening to this and they're really getting some good takeaways from, from what you're saying. Good. And that is, you know, uh, the best defense is a good offense. You know, make sure you're protected. You know, write it in your calendar at least twice a year to review your, you know, insurance for your business and for your employees. And, and I, you know, I would even say maybe quarterly or whenever you have a significant change in the business. Oh, am I covered for that? That's a simple question. And I know that as a business owner, I've never worked in insurance but I know how important those questions are because the last time and place you ever want to say that is after the horse has left the barn. You got it. Oh my God. My building's on fire. Tell me we have fire insurance. Correct. Right. Mm, no, that would be the Too right. Late. Time to say it. Yeah. Right. All right. So we just closed the first quarter of 2023, uh, which is truly incredible. Um, and I know that you speak to a lot of business owners and people, as you mentioned, you know, people in that ecosystem. Um, from your vantage point, what are you seeing right now? Like if we took a screenshot of the small to mid-sized business market, what does that look like from your perspective? The good, the bad, the ugly. Well, the, there's a ton of good. The good is their optimism, the cash flow, uh, how they feel about their local economy is as high as we've seen it in years. So even even matching or exceeding some of the pre-pandemic levels. So when we go back and start pulling our data from 2019, 2018, we're seeing optimism and sentiment mirror some of the things that we saw back then. So not, not, not only do businesses feel good about themselves, they feel good about kind of the economy that's surrounding them. Now, this latest wrinkle with some banking and lending, I'll be interested in seeing because we actually very quickly refielded some questions in our study that we won't have access to until the beginning of, of May. But I'll be interested to see if there's a, a kind of a, a little pause in that optimism based upon some of the lending and banking. But what we were seeing right before that was very high levels of assurance that they had done the right things to grow. So that's yeah. the that's the good news. Yeah. You want the bad news? Yes, of course. <laughs> so the bad news is the business owners have moved on a little bit from I'm going to call it like employee well, well-being. They're kind of like I'm not going to worry about the burnout and mental health quite as much. Mm-hmm. The employees themselves are still worried yeah. about those things. So yeah. there's a little bit of a gap um, that is emerging between what employees are still worried about, mm. mental mental stress, mental health, burnout, capacity to do kind of the work, and what employers are worried about. Employers are starting to say things more like, I'm worried about 
tax policy and you know inflation and cost pressures. So there's a little bit of a gap getting created between the two that is probably a little part of the keep watching it because if that gap persists, it could be part of a bad news story there. You know, it's funny, the three things you mentioned about the employers all had to do with finances, right? I mean, that and knowing the business owners that I do, that's always going to be, you know, priority number one. And as you also mentioned with the banking, um, all of a sudden, you know, credit lines get a little bit tighter, applications don't get approved as much as they were in the past. You know, obviously fewer grants and loans from the government, we've kind of passed that phase yeah. So it's, I go back to that whole question about the recession. Like, you know, the Fed is, in my opinion, is doing everything it can to stop small businesses from hiring because they want that unemployment number to go up. And small businesses are, are the ones that are doing the hiring. And I think that with everything that a business owner needs to think about, something that needs to get put on the back burner. And the ones that I talk to feel like I just spent three years, you know, in the trenches with my employees and I love them to death, but I got to be able to focus on some of these other things. Now I need to know that they're strong enough to be able to stand on their own, maybe solve some of their own problems. And that, that sounds a little cold, but I think that's that survival mentality with some businesses where they're like, okay, we're in this, we're all together, we're family, we need to stand together, but we also need to stand independently. If you've got some issues, I'll give you the resources, uh, I'll point you in the right direction, but we need to be focused on the next six to nine months right now in this company. Let me give you the profile of the business owners that I see that I think are doing it the best. Um, the, the ones that are doing exactly what you're saying, they're spending kind of their planning time making sure they've taken care of expense structure, making sure they've gotten the right lines of credit, that they're comfortable, that they're still accessible to them. They have the right kind of, either it's community lending partners or whatever capacity they have if they need if they need debt. They're spending some of their own personal planning time doing that work. And then they're spending their time with their employees continuing to say, here's where we're doing a great job. Here's our purpose. Let me remind you back to the purpose. And let me say one of the reasons that I've got all of you all here is because you're great problem solvers. You're taking care of our customers. Well, you're great problem solvers. Do you need a little bit more flexibility on how you solve this problem? Do you need a few more resources on what tooling you use to do this work for our customer? So they're tying that care. They're tying that culture building around their employees to their culture of growth and sort of that culture of I hired you because you're the best of the best and you are great problem solvers. So the the companies, the leaders I see that are putting that together are tending to do the best job at matching the employee's concern about burnout, well-being, culture, and still taking care of setting themselves up for great growth. So it's not an either or. In my mind, the best ones are doing that together. And then everyone walks out going like, my company is the greatest company ever. And they're using all those same reasons that could be challenges to reach that result. Now, what percent of businesses do you think are doing that? I kind of see it as like the pyramid, right? It's unfortunate. And and I guess this will lead to my next question, which which we kind of tie everything in there together. 
you know, what lessons did business owners learn over the last three years? What were kind of some of these lessons that resulted in permanent change? Because I think what we're talking what we were talking about just now about you know taking care of your employees and and making sure their well being is is you know they're they're feeling good about themselves. I can see that as temporary. I can see that as okay. Once we're out of the danger and the world is not going to end, I can see people drifting back to the way things used to be, and not using the pandemic as a catalyst for permanent change. So, so let's let's talk about some of the lessons that you saw. So I can see that as well, Brian. I would say though the lessons that have been persistent ones is that there's a direct correlation between taking care of employees, understanding the purpose and the commitment to the business, Mm -hmm. to their engagement, to their interactions with the customers and their willingness to continue to help that employer build that business together. So I would say one of the things that I see is when you invest sort of at the base of that pyramid, kind of back to that pyramid, when you invest back at that base, that is taking care of, you know, base benefits, making sure wages are competitive, making sure they've done the right things that people feel like they have options in how they work. Not not meaning it always has to be remote or it always has to be in person, but you've given people some level of self-autonomy and flexibility, usually using some sort of technology tool to do it, but you've given people that autonomy and flexibility. The payoff is the employee engagement is literally higher. When employee engagement is higher, work product better, customer service better, end result is you grow faster. So I'm seeing the lessons are people are understanding when you take that those base needs are not the thing you do last. They're the thing you do first. So, for example, last survey we did for Wellbeing Index said that the business owners by and large believe that a recession is still coming. So they still believe 60, 65% of them still say recession is coming. We asked them though what they wouldn't do. What would be like the last action you would take? They won't get rid of benefits. Okay. They won't change wages and they won't do the things that pull back on the additional flexibility they've given the the workers and the autonomy. So those things that make up sort of the base of that pyramid, they're saying they would still be the last things they touch. They would go first to things like continuing to lean out expenses, keeping a little less inventory, maybe not even doing that capital expansion project that they were thinking about doing, just like we talked about pre-COVID, maybe not even quite pulling the lever on doing that. They would wait to do those things in favor of keeping the base of that employee experience strong. So I would say they've learned that. Okay. And and you know what? That that's smart business, right? It's smart business if you're going into uncertain seas to suddenly doing any sort of capital expansion in your business, right? Where you're, oh yeah, let's buy a new building, let's open a new location. I sometimes it's okay. But most of the times it's not like, you know, we talk about chaos and opportunity, you know, in Chinese, it's the, it, they're both part of the same symbol, you know, within w- within chaos, there is opportunity and and smart business owners will see that. 
But that, again, that's really closer to the top of the pyramid. Most people, I would say, you know, be smart about making any sort of investment as we start to head into murkier waters because you aren't seeing everything. Right. I think the last time we talked, Brian, there was a little bit more infatuation with sort of bright, shiny things Yes. that that the perception that they're going to maybe drive some growth. And I would say three years later, looking back, what we've done is we've gone back to the basics and those basics tend to serve both the business owner and the employees pretty well when things start to get rough. So back to the basics is sort of the theme we see emerge in both the sentiment and the actual raw data and the research we're doing. That may be the title for this podcast. Back Great. That's <laughs> certainly what, what I'm seeing out there as I talk to talk to businesses. Well, you know, you mentioned your well-being index. And I will say this, that that is one of the best research tools that I have seen when it comes to understanding the the small business market. I mean, you do a fantastic job of asking the right questions and you do it enough that you really can build up, you know, the sentiment and the attitude and the outlook for business owners, not only where they've been and where they are, but where they want to go. Let me tell you a short story about that, Brian, because it's one that I think is sort of instructive in how helpful that data has been is, you know, I... Principal's a great company and it has great economists. It has people who sit on a global economic stage and, and have really wise, interesting things to say about global economy and the U.S. economy. Um, I bring some of that data from the well-being index into our own investment discussions. And what I can tell you is the sentiment from small business I was the one saying, and again, it wasn't me, it was me portraying the well-being index data. The well-being index data was saying, we're not going to have a recession that's felt like prior recessions because small businesses are still hiring. Small businesses are still increasing wages. Small businesses are more resilient than some of the historical economic indicators would say they should have been. So that data from the well-being index is what gave me confidence to continue to say, I don't think we're headed to a recession right now. I don't think we're going to dip into a recession because small business owners became the backbone that kept that from happening in the U.S. economy. And the well-being index and the sentiment data in that really saw that coming. Every time we would pulse, I would come back and say, nope, not happening yet. Nope, not happening yet. And and honestly, that's how things have played out. So I have found it to be a powerful tool in adding a dimension of kind of not just purely economic and quantitative data, but sentiment data that really speaks to the power of small businesses in the U.S. economy. How cool is it that you have access to those people, right? If you have a question, you can just email one of them, right? A a leading global economic expert and say, these numbers were released today. What does it mean? What do they mean? And the coolest part is when we disagree. When I'm like, I think I, I think I just heard you on CNBC and I think you got it wrong. Let me tell you what I'm seeing from the well-being index. So I would say sometimes my my biggest contribution has been telling the story of small business owners, which without, I don't think people do it intentionally, but I think we we let the narrative become that of a big business narrative. Yes. And I think truly 
in this past year, the narrative that has shaped economic pressures and opportunities more in the U.S. has been a small business one. And I'm honestly just proud to be the bearer of that story. And I would 100% agree with that. You know, there's a, a major disconnect between Wall Street and Main Street. Yes. Like the people years ago, people used to say, you know, oh, Wall Street, Main Street, it's the same thing, right? It's almost like that trickle down economics, right? The money's made on Wall Street and it's spent on Main Street. I think that broke maybe with the the last, you know, great recession in 2008. I don't I don't have the exact date of when it happened, but I know what happened. You can't look at one market, one end of the market and say, "Oh yeah, well this is the the ripple effect is coming." I I I disagree with that. I think Main Street is much more viable to your point as an indicator of where the economy is going. Yeah, and so I'm I'm going to say I think structurally we need both perspectives to have a fulsome mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. So yeah. so structurally we need to understand Main Street and Wall Street. In the last 12 months, Main Street has been closer to the things that have been that underlying structure though than I think Wall Street has. So I'm in complete agreement there. Wow. It, what what I let's, let's get back to the basics, right? That that's that's kind of what it's all about. So, all right, let let's let's talk about the I, again. I love this well being index, and you mentioned that you it it was coming out this year. I think it's coming out in in early May, right? Yeah, we fielded we fielded one already in February, and I think talked about a little of those results in March, and we have another one that's going to be released out in in May, early May. Can I ask for any predictions or expectations? <laughs> it's not like it's uh, it's insider trading, and I'm not betting on one yeah. of the horses to win, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on what the results might be. Here's what I'm going to say. Um, I do think the some of the credit facilities and loan facilities that people have had or haven't had access to, they got a little I think they got a little shook by some of the things that happened um with the banking sector. Um mm-hmm. But what I guess I would still say is my guess is the optimism and the um, base um, cash flow, um, not just sentiment, but their actual analysis of their own local economy and cash flow might be a hair stronger than some of the um, worst case pundits are putting out there. I still think we're going to see really nice resiliency and good sentiment from small business. Uh, again, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. I just don't understand where it's coming from. I don't, I, I don't. And I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm the biggest cheerleader for small businesses. Um, I've grown, I've learned to become a realist, closer to a realist than an optimist. But I, I honestly, I think with everything that's happened, I'm just surprised that there's still enough. Let me lay let me lay an interesting dimension in. You decide if it's helpful. I'll tell you I find it interesting. Okay. The further away a business owner gets from their local economy and their own business model, the less confident they become. So when you ask them about national economics and Mm. kind of total US issues, their confidence is a little bit less. When you bring that back to their local economy, their confidence gets higher and their answers get a little bit more affirmative. And then when you bring it back to their business themselves, what they're running, the answers get 
even a little bit higher and more confident. And again, I'm not saying this is exactly what we're going to see, but for the last probably 12 months, that's been what we've been seeing is they do acknowledge there's something kind of big structurally that feels challenging going on in the U.S., But in their local economy and in their business themselves, they're kind of like, I'm in charge and I've I've got this. So I I think that's a bit of the answer to the question is we keep looking at it across the entire economic spectrum. They're looking at it from their slice of the world and what they control. And they know they're doing their thought right now is they're still doing some pretty wise things with their capital, with their employees and with their purpose. And I would say that they have the most control of that end of the spectrum, you know, their business on their street in their town. And there are a lot fewer variables on my street in my town. You know, I I don't have to worry about what's happening, you know, on the other side of the country, you know, SVB, you ask you you poll ten small businesses and eight of them are not going to know what SVB stands for. So, right. but if it was a local bank, you know, I think they would obviously be much more aware of it and much more concerned about it. And that's the one thing I would say. My, one of my predictions is I think with the banks that were affected in in the last couple of months, that was very different than obviously you know, small business banking, you know, they focused on specific industries and opportunities and we'll have some data. Yes. We'll have some yes. data pretty yes. soon yes. to yes. know if, if what you're saying is, is right, Brian. All right. Well, getting back to that well-being index and, and what I love about it is that it looks at so many different aspects and you covered this a little bit with, uh, with the employer employee relationship you know, so where are we today with that? I think we covered it a little bit, but I'd love to just talk a little bit more about it because it does seem still to be an issue, right? Hiring, small business hiring, competing against the larger companies, competing against the quiet quitting. And and we're, I think we're past the great resignation. It's more to that quiet quitting, but just getting people to buy into the culture of your business, the opportunities and the benefits that that a business can offer them. So what are, what are business owners doing now to kind of keep, you know, hire the best and keep the best? Yeah. So so business owners are still saying, yeah, we're, we've got um, some, it, they would express they have fewer concerns about filling roles now. So like they have less, angst about those open positions. They are now fundamentally concerned though about retaining. So so they're saying I fought really hard for this talent and I'm going to retain it. So they're saying you got to give me um, ideas and tools on what can continue to keep my employees engaged. Um, if they're running into an issue with they're worried about how they're going to save, how they're going to take care of elder care, how they're going to take care of leave or something. They are asking for a little bit more information about how to take care of those things for those key employees that are either causing stress for them or they're perceived as not being as competitive. So so the I said a I said a key point there, which is key employees. 
And that's what I would say. What we're seeing is a little bit of shift away from total employee population. So sort of total employee population issues and a little bit more focus on those key employees. I think what the what the last few years have done is it's helped point out if you haven't put the right things in place to attract and and retain those key employees, you put your whole business at risk. And so we're seeing a lot more interest in things like um, I've done some things for um, savings at work through like a 401k and I've made that available to everyone or I've made a general smaller income protection benefit available for everyone. But now I want to carve out those key employees and do things more on maybe a, a an additional plan to allow them to save work, like a non-qualified plan or an additional plan um, to help provide additional income protection for the four key architects maybe of the firm. So we're seeing a little more discussion on that key employee, not full employee basis. Yeah. I, and I, I, you know, this is a, an area that we talk about a lot on my podcast, you know, the Gallup polls that talk about the actively engaged, engaged, disengaged to actively disengaged employees. And what's amazing about that polling is it says that on the best year, only about a third of all your employees were either actively engaged or engaged. That the majority of the employees, I think the biggest box of that were the disengaged employees. Now, the actively disengaged, they're the ones that you got to figure out who they are and just get rid of them. But the most successful companies were the ones that could turn a disengaged employee into an engaged employee. And as um, my friend Andrew Sherman refers to it, he goes, turning the ordinary into extraordinary. That's like that. when you have that that kind of that winning formula, winning season, because people stepped up who weren't stepping up in the past. So I think about your that kind of that key employee identification. Imagine having a disengaged leader of a team that is suddenly engaged now and reinvigorated. For you know, in their job because of the recognition they got as a key team leader, and now I'm going to be giving you these benefits because I appreciate what you're doing for us. Right, and some some are even looking structurally at can they share the ownership of the company? So employee stock option purchasing, um, doing things that share in some of the profit sharing of the company, and and giving that two key employees has become a really interesting consultative discussion we're having all across the industry and it's it's been it's been a fun one to watch because that engagement it's not just the dollars that that any anyone would put at play it's mm-hmm. saying i'm identifying you as someone i couldn't run the business without and that's what people play back to me is i didn't know my business owner cared enough about this that they even knew what I did. And so that's those are the interesting conversations where you see engagement build right in front of you. Is that a recent phenomenon? I it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a recent phenomenon, but it kind of is. I think I, I think we saw so much fight for talent. So that war for talent really pointed out to people the costs of not taking care of the people they had. So I would say that key employee identification is an, a byproduct of people seeing the cost of losing great talent that was key to their operation. 
how do we stop it? Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're in the home stretch, but I, I can't let you go without asking you a, a question about women business owners, because I know that you're a member of the Fortune's Most Powerful uh, Women, right? Which I yeah. love, which is so well-deserved. Uh, but now we're at a time now where women are, are starting to return to the workforce after a record number of them left during the pandemic. And and quite a few of them are actually starting their own companies, which is is interesting. Maybe you see it in your index or through your the you know events that you attend. But what are some of the obstacles and opportunities that are specific to women business owners in 2023? Yeah, so women business owners are still. You can argue what the cause is, and there's a million reasons probably why, but they're not getting their fair share of the capital that's out there oh, to either yeah. seed their business, fund their business, or provide lending. So I would say that's one of the things I consistently hear talked about is either there's a, a tranche of opportunity that we're just not investigating and asking for, or there's still a set of, and I'm going to honestly give credit to largely unconscious sort of systematic biases that are happening that mm -hmm. aren't providing the types of lending and credit and, and debt opportunities, investment opportunities for those small business owners. So Female small business owners aren't getting access to capital markets at a consistent rate. I would say the other thing I'm seeing is that female small business owners are building businesses based on slightly different practices than some of their male counterparts. So they're going to put benefits in place that are a little bit different than a different generation or male-owned business. They're going to put a little bit more focus on paid leave. They're going to put a little bit more focus on income protection. They might put a disproportionate amount of focus on providing people with the tools to save at the workplace. And so I see them build that base of that pyramid we've been talking about kind of back to the basics. Their definition of the basics tends to be slightly different than what we have historically seen. It's maybe a little less dependent on pure wage mm. and a little more dependent on using those things that provide, I'm going to call it security or protection or ability to have flexibility at work, there's going to be part of that base a little bit more. What that means is who they attract tends to be a little bit different, how they grow tends to be a little bit different, not better, not worse necessarily, just a little bit different. So I'm seeing female business owners making some decisions that are a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. And what I would say is many of them are seeing that it's paying off in the culture they're building. I love to hear that. I, I do. I think it's it's a welcome opportunity if we have more women business owners, you know, that make up the whole of, of the small and mid-sized business market. I did read uh, an interesting article that talked about uh, women business owners and their relationship with digital tools. They're becoming more automated in their businesses, and they're using uh, more digital communications tools, which is great because both of those, like for the digital tools for selling and automation uh, and communications, because what that allows them to do is spend more time on their employees and their customers. I don't know if I've seen that exact study or that exact data, but what I would say resonates in the, the data that we see is that those small business owners are investing in technology and infrastructure for a slightly different reason. If you ask maybe a male business owner, they would cite efficiency as sort of the first order benefit they're going to get. 
uh, female business owners would tend to answer that question with flexibility. I put that infrastructure, I put that digital infrastructure in place because it gave more flexibility to either location, where the work gets done, what time the work gets done. It just made it more able to be mobile. Mm. Um, it made it more able to be flexible. So by the way, both answers, fantastic. I, yeah. I got no problem because in, <laughs> in the end, you get you yeah. get the right things done for the customers and for the economic basis that these small businesses are are functioning in. Yeah, I, I think you're right. In both cases, it's looking at solving problems and obstacles in a proactive way, using technology it. to make my business more efficient, more flexible, more productive. So that's definitely a lesson that I think all businesses have taken from the pandemic is that, wow, it opened their eyes to technology. We can do all of these things, you know, without, with technology that are not going to cost us an arm and a leg. Yeah, that's the piece I feel like I see is that they understood, they always saw a technology investment as number one, sort of beyond their areas of competency, and number two, as too expensive to invest in. And they actually, regardless of gender, we're seeing data that says small business owners know that those two things are not necessarily true. They're capable of putting them in and they can be cost effective to do. Right. Love it. And and just make sure you take the time to learn how it works. Yep. Take advantage of all of the capabilities of the technology that you purchased. All right. Here's my last question. So with all of the uncertainty and volatility and future obstacles that maybe we can't see right now in our economy and country, kind of like February 2020, <laughs> right? What's one thought or, or piece of advice that you would give to business owners that they can carry around with them for the rest of this year? And maybe you've said it and you just want to reiterate it, but think about the business owners that you've seen at events and that you've talked to, you know, knowing that, you know, you have all this great access to some of the smartest thinkers in, in business. What, what would you share with the business owners? This is the era of purpose. Business owners have the best purpose statements I have seen. They know why they went into business. They know who they serve and they know why they feel great about doing that. So they are the most passionate, purpose-driven people I've ever met. And this is the era of purpose. So what I would say to small business owners is lean into that purpose. Put that in the base of your pyramid. Count that as back to the basics. And I think purpose-driven businesses are businesses that are culturally very attractive, that, that feel like they can enable people. So go back to your purpose and own. Small business owners own the era of purpose. Now you just messed up the title of this podcast. We can give two titles. We can give two titles. Subtitle. All right. Now you got me thinking. Now I'm going to have to. All right. Well, we'll just come back again and we'll talk about purpose. How about that? I love that. I love that. Uh, that's such a great. I, I, all right. Do me a favor because I interrupted. All right. Tell me that again. The purpose about purpose. Yeah. So, so what I would say is that small businesses are the best most passionate carriers of purpose that I see anywhere in the economy. They tell their story the best. They know why they got into the business. They have a personal connection with their story and nearly every employee that they have that works with them towards that story. And as we enter an era where purpose-driven businesses gather up more of the economy, 
that is going to be my last piece of advice is win the economic battle by going back to the basics of your purpose of the business and small business will win the day. We're going to end on that note. Amy Frederick, thank you so much for giving us time today and all your sage advice and wisdom and, and access to all that you have access to with regard to the small business market. This was a fantastic show. I'm not going to wait another three years to have you back on. Uh, I We're definitely going to talk more about the well-being index. I'd love to see it. I'll write something up when it comes out in May. And for all of my listeners, I hope you took a lot of notes today. There's some great tidbits that you can put into your business immediately, not only to find the right employees, but more importantly, to keep those key employees that are so valuable to your business. And with that, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for your feedback and your suggestions. And we'll see you next week on another edition of the Small Business Edge podcast. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.